0: Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance. What we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high performing individuals tick, why they do what they do and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons and learnings.
1: Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, episode number 68. Today we spoke to Patrick McKeown, breathing consultant, director of Boteco Clinic International, consultant to Oxygen Advantage, speaker, and best-selling author. This is the man to help solve your breathing problems and optimize your breathing. We discussed breath holding and the value of nasal breathing with Patrick. We learned that mouth breathing is not efficient and also the causes of sleep apnea. This is a deep, informative dive into human evolution, the physiology, and anatomy behind how to breathe correctly and efficiently. The breath can be very powerful. We start our life with the breath, and we leave with the breath. Breathe well.
2: Hi, welcome to Sleepy Perform Repeat. We're joined on the line by Patrick McKeown, I'll pass you over to David now, who will introduce you to Patrick.
1: Very looking forward to speaking to Patrick today. He's the man behind Oxygen Advantage, and we're really looking forward to understanding all about breathing today. So how to breathe efficiently and really how to understand the best way to breathe. So so Patrick, thank you very much for taking the time to speak to Kiran and myself today. How is life?
3: Good. Life is good. Um, Getting a lot of work done. So sometimes it's nice to slow down and um, we can put our focus then on different things. So so it's all good, guys. All good. Now, if we if we just look up onto your website or look up to your background,
1: it's, it's very much that breathing can enhance, optimize everything from kind of sports performance to kind of health and just general, I suppose, well-being. Just, I suppose, when did this all start? When did you kind of get into being
3: the man behind how to teach people how to breathe well? I suppose there's always a silver lining. So I was a chronic mouth breather all the way in from my childhood years into my teenage years, um, having asthma. Of course, in Ireland, it's very common. And if you have asthma, your nose is stuffed up most of the time, or at least it's more commonly stuffed up. And if your nose is stuffed, your sleep is impacted. And uh, if your nose is stuffed, you also breathe persistently through an open mouth and you're more on a fight or flight response. So as a child growing up with asthma, chronically mouth breathing, I was upper chest breathing, fast breathing, disrupted sleep, having breathing problems. It affects your concentration. It affects your quality of life. And uh, I came across a newspaper article. I was in and out of hospital a couple of times in Ireland, in Connolly Hospital in Blanchardstown. And I was going to doctors every few months looking for asthma medication and it never Never was I told or encouraged to breathe through my nose. And I happened across a newspaper article in the Irish Independent or the Irish Times. I can't remember which one it was, but this was back in in around 1998. And it spoke of a Russian doctor and it said two things, breathe through your nose and breathe light. So it struck a chord with me because I was a hard breather. You know, if you were sitting beside me, you'd notice that my breathing, you know, you'd hear it. It wasn't that I was having an asthma attack all the time but my breathing was always excessive. And um, my nose was stuffed. And you kind of learn to live with it. you know. And you learn to live with fatigue and you learn to live with stress because you don't know any different. But uh, I started breathing through my nose. I was feeling very suffocated when I first switched. And in a couple of days, I habituated towards it, not fully making the transition, but getting there. And I taped my mouth that night and I used Breathe Right strips as well, just in case, you know, my nose totally stuffed up. Um, But I woke up On the second morning, feeling more alert than I had ever done before. And my asthma symptoms, my wheezing had reduced by about 50% in one week. And um, I was in the corporate world. My background is economics from TCD. So I was in a job that I suppose, like a lot of corporations, you're in a job. You absolutely hate the job. Um, Management is putting pressure on you. You're putting pressure on the staff below you. Everything is dictated. You're controlled. It's almost that you're owned by the company. And um, just I suppose stress levels were high enough and not necessarily that the company was causing high stress, but certainly the individual or my my ability to cope with the stress wouldn't have been good. So, you know, a long story short, I two years later, I decided to change careers, get out of the corporate world. And um, I completely started putting my efforts towards breathing. So I went to Russia, trained there, come back and I've been teaching it full time since 2002 quite a story, right? Like like
1: nearly anything that was successful, there was this huge purpose behind it, a personal purpose, because you could relate because you had asthma. So you, you needed to figure out something that could help you, right?
3: Well, that's it. And, you know, if you were to talk with medical doctors back in 2002 about the importance of nose or mouth breathing, you would be probably told it would make no difference. But I knew myself that it made a dramatic difference Um, And I'm not just overselling it because I would encourage anybody to start breathing through their nose. And, you know, it's not just about breathing through the nose, but certainly the nose is really the foundation in terms of if you want to be breathing into the lower regions of the lungs, nasal breathing is more efficient. Nasal breathing increases oxygen uptake in the blood, increases oxygen delivery. And there's a lot of misinformation out there about breathing. Um, Sometimes I cringe when I hear breathing instructors, when I hear what's being told in terms of taking these full and big breaths and the belief that it's going to bring more oxygen um, to, to the tissues, it's incorrect. So there's some things that we have to turn around and turn upside down in terms of breathing what's out there. But if you really apply breathing from a good understanding, it can make a huge difference to your life in a number of areas, in terms of sleep, in terms of stress levels, in terms of breathlessness during exercise performance and um, focus and concentration that's
1: fascinating and it's it's funny you, you alluded to something there I suppose a lot of the time when people are stressed or, or tense or you know nervous about something happening they oh, take a big deep breath and they think that's going to settle them down but I've, I've been looking through some of your work and that's not what you would say
3: well it's it's you know, if, if you have somebody coming like if I have somebody coming into me and if I see that person regularly sighing, um, I already know that that person is more likely to be in a fight or flight A sigh. It's not normal for somebody to sigh regularly throughout the day. You know, an odd sigh here and there is no problem. And not an odd yawn here and there is no problem. But when you have somebody persistently sighing, that's enough to maintain chronic breathing patterns and, um, yeah. I like, I would like to address that. And you know, when people come in, I often ask them because sometimes people have a hard time. Yeah. I breathe and breathe, you know, and you know, you're talking about breathing and they take this big breath in front of you and you, they think that's all that's it to it. And it's not. And, um, so when you ask people like, how do you breathe when you get stressed? Well, typically they'll tell you that their breathing gets faster. Um, they start breathing upper chest. They may start switching to mouth breathing. They may sighing, they sigh more. They may be holding their breath. They may have an apnea, and uh, they may feel air shor- air shortage or air hunger. And then, when I tell them to take a deep breath, they take this full, big breath, and all that's doing is amplifying their already stressed response. Like if stress makes you breathe faster, the only way to help bring your body and to activate parasympathetic tone or relaxation response is slow down your breathing, um, because there is communication from the brain to the body, but there is also communication from the body back to the brain. And even in terms of the vagus nerve, 80% of the communication is from the body back to the brain. So we can tap into and we can activate like the body is an amazing organ. And when you have an understanding, it's very, very simple stuff, but it's been pretty messed up out there. And I know you're probably hearing me giving out about it now, but I want to drive home that point that there is a lot you can achieve through your breathing. And like me as an asthmatic kid giving a straw to blow in, to blow cars across the table, I was already chronically hyperventilating and all blowing into a straw and breathing harder. All I was doing was making my chronic hyperventilation worse. I should have been told to do the opposite. Like we know, for example, kids were often told to go swimming. And if you really break that down, why would you send a child swimming? Because when a child, usually they throw a diving stick into the bottom of the pool, they have to breathe in they hold their breath and they swim underwater and they come back up with their stick or they have the water pressing against their body which is exerting a pressure against their breathing but ultimately swimming forces us to breathe less air and even just from an asthma point of view if you breathe less air you have less cooling and drying out of the airway walls and you have less inflammation but if you're going around with your mouth open or doing exercise with your mouth open not only you know is it trauma to the upper airways mo- moisture is getting sucked out of the the upper airways getting sucked out of the lower airways and then we have exercise induced bronchoconstriction. constriction but we have to bear in mind how hard does the individual breathe for a given level of physical exercise and people with breathing extra sorry people with breathing complaints do breathe hard we need to change that Patrick that's exactly what you'd think about as is-
1: the exact opposite of all the stuff we should be doing right we should be slowing down trying to probably breathe lower lung diaphragmatic breathing breathing through the nose to get that to look after the hydration and retain that kind of moisture the upper respiratory tract I suppose I'm curious just the general population like say if you don't have asthma or some sort of respiratory condition how many people of the population would you say are mouth breathers
3: It's very difficult to know. It gets no research whatsoever. Um, One study looking at individuals in Japan, it showed 17% of the population. But if I look at, you know, breathing pattern disorders, which would encompass mouth breathing. So it's not just that the individual is breathing through an open mouth, but they may have faster breathing, upper chest breathing. That's still a problem. So if you look at a Cochrane review, it showed it was 13% of the population. And uh, with asthma, it's it's 30% of the asthma population. But with anxiety and stress and panic disorder, it's 80%. So you can imagine 80% of individuals who are suffering from anxiety, from panic disorder, from depression, from high stress levels, they are exhibiting breathing pattern disorders. And all very well, they go to their psychotherapist, they do counseling. But is their physiology of breathing being addressed? Because as long as that person is breathing fast upper chest breathing and irregular breathing, it's feeding into the symptoms it's not just that stress changes our breathing pattern, but the changed breathing pattern feeds back into the symptoms. And if we are stressed over a period of time, even when the stress is removed, the breathing pattern, the abnormal breathing pattern will remain. That needs correction. Like I often give this story. I was giving a, a talk to ear, nose and throat doctors in Madrid of last year, and I had 150 ear, nose and throat doctors, and I showed them the nose and and you can simply unblock your nose by holding the breath. And uh, I've seen them looking at each other. In other words, they hadn't came across it before. So sometimes, you know, there's something in breathing that people often haven't, haven't considered. But I said to the doctors, I said, doctors, you fixed my nose in 1994. I had an operation on my nose to make it function better. But you never told me to breathe through it. And I often use the example that if you had a broken leg you'd be sent to a surgeon, you'd be put into a cast. But when the cast is removed, you're sent to a physiotherapist for, for rehabilitation. But we have thousands of kids and adults who undergo nasal surgery because of a chronically stuffed nose or deviated septum or aden- enlarged adenoids, etc. But neither children nor adults are t- told to nasal breathe following it. You know, if we have been having a stuffed nose or nasal issues for many years, we don't just have an obstruction of the nose, but we also have a change to behavior and we need mm. to fix that behavior. So, but I'm just going to make one point, David, look at the amount of people who are snoring and people with obstructive sleep apnea. And typically it's about 30%. And with males over 50 years of age, it increases to probably about 43%. All of these individuals are many of them. Um, the studies show that if you have your mouth open you're, or you're more likely to have your mouth open during sleep when you're over 40 years of age you're 6 times more likely to spend at least six you're 6 times more likely to spend at least 50% of your sleep time breathing through the mouth now if you have the mouth open during sleep your airway is narrow you have drying out of the throat if the airway collapses it takes a greater reopening pressure to open up the airway to establish breathing um, the tongue is more likely to fall into the throat as is the soft palate or collapse of the throat itself mouth breathing is causing fast upper chest breathing this reduces lung volume which in turn is causing collapse of the throat and for sleep apnea the whole environment has changed with the recognition that there are four phenotypes in obstructive sleep apnea it's such a common complaint and uh, breathing plays a role in that because when you think of the airways we have to think of the upper airways and the lower airways are one airway there's not no such thing as the the nose and the throat and the, the trachea and the lungs. It's one entire airway. And if there's an issue in one part of the lungs or an issue in one part of the airway, it can transmit or transfer to the upper part, etc. So people who are collapsing breathing. So, you know, you have some guy who's snoring and the next thing you hear is you hear him stop breathing. And that was me when I was a student and I was waking up absolutely exhausted. And, you know, it was only when I was staying in, in university dorms in Uppsala in Sweden, I was doing an Erasmus program there, the, the students in the dorm told I was going to die because they'd hear me snoring, and I'd mean snoring, and then complete stopping of the breath, and that was obstructive sleep apnea. Very common with people with asthma, very common in Ireland, um, but often overlooked, but it has a huge stress on the individual.
2: So I've just been listening in on your journey and just in terms of what your purpose was to actually go and study this and look into it. Um, mm-hmm. What you would have benefited from, it sounds like, is a lot more you know, addressing of your issues when you were younger in terms of the breathing process. What age do you think we should actually target kids and
3: children or young adults now? Oh, Kieran, there's a huge thing about mouth breathing with children. Um, and again, it's, it's very much overlooked. No child should be mouth breathing persistently. I don't mind a child having the mouth open a little bit here and a little bit there, but I'm talking about a child with the mouth open when they are distracted, when they're doing physical exercise, when they are sleeping. To give you a few statistics on it, and I can send you on papers, this doesn't get research in Ireland, but it does get a lot of research internationally. And it's starting to change the whole environment in terms of mouth breathing in children. If a child has the mouth open during the formative years, um, especially during critical growth periods, the age three, four, five, six, seven, when they're grown quite fast, Not only does it affect the craniofacial development, but it can affect the cognitive development because the brain is developing at that point. And Karen Bonnock, she did a study in Stratford-upon-Avon in 2011, and it was a longitudinal study looking at 11,000 kids. And she predicted from looking at these kids over many years that children with sleep disorder breathing, which is often contributed to by mouth breathing, they have a 40% increased risk of special education needs. So we have to think of the permanent changes, not just to the face, but to the airway to sleep and to the development of these kids. You know, it's kind of like sometimes it gets frustrating for me because I've seen this for 20 years. I work internationally. I've put put out eight books that have been published in many languages. I've papers written, two papers published in 2017 in the International Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine, looking at 35 asthmatic mouth-breathing kids. These kids were missing school. These kids were having a poorer quality of life because of asthma, and of course, resultant sleep problems, which is very common with asthma. We get the kids nasal breathing. We give them simple breathing exercises to help restore normal breathing patterns, and these kids less school time missed and improved asthma scores. So simple, so economically, um, you know, viable and morally viable because medication doesn't change breathing patterns. Medication isn't telling a child to breathe through the nose. And, uh, if you only last year, we put together a full complete breathing program for kids and we put it out free. So it's on YouTube completely for free, all of the exercises, everything. So any child that's listening that, or any parent of a child, if your child is chronically mouth breathing, I would say really start paying attention to it. And, You know, even if the adenoids are removed, you still have to restore nasal breathing because there's a 65% worsening in what's called the AHI index, which is the apnea hypopnea index. It's a measurement of your severity of sleep disorders, but there's a 65% worsening of that within three years unless nasal breathing is restored in children. Now, thousands of children undergo adenoidectomy and tonsillectomy in, in Ireland and abroad every year. These children are not taught to breathe through their nose post tonsillectomy and adenoidectomy. The result is only short term. And I'm quoting there is the late Dr. Christian who's who was a Stanford medical doctor. And uh, he coined the phrase obstructive sleep apnea back in the 70s. He developed the apnea hypopnea index. So he's accredited and recognized as being one of the founding fathers of sleep medicine. And I've spoken alongside him at quite a number of conferences over the years. And I've seen him stand up in conferences And I've seen him say to his colleagues, you were talking about everything in sleep to improve quality, except the elephant in the room. And the elephant in the room is breathing through the nose. Now, how many books do you read about sleep that are out there that are popular? How many of them are talking about the importance of nasal breathing? Not many.
2: What, in your opinion, is the reason all of this is overlooked?
3: I think it's just too simple. You know, I've had an argument which I was at a conference in Chicago a few years ago. And there was a professor of medicine, teaching medicine at one of the universities. And he stood up and he said, there is no difference whether you breathe through your nose or whether you breathe through your mouth. Well, I had to stand up and I had to give that there is a difference. And the research is there in terms of the craniofacial development in children, in terms of sleep, in terms of anxiety, in terms of oxygen uptake, in terms of oxygen delivery in terms of trauma to the upper airways, in terms of the lungs. And I spoke and I made my piece. But luckily, um, a couple of my colleagues, they stood up, including Dr. Kevin Boyd, who is a pediatric dentist from Chicago, but also an anthropologist. And uh, he's been looking at the shape of the human face over the last few hundred years. So he studies skulls pretty much. And he's noticing that there's a change in the shape of the human being, change in the face. Ultimately, it means that our airway is getting smaller now our airway is a tr- function that will trump everything and if the if the human airway is getting smaller we are much more pre- predisposed to sleep problems and uh, we really need quality sleep for restoration and recovery and like people come into me with depression and i sometimes ask them you know like how do you feel when you wake up in the morning and they tell me that they wake up feeling exhausted and i ask them has your doctor ever asked you about your sleep quality? And they say no. And I think it's because often, you know, the healthcare professional is thinking, well, it's, it's the depression which is causing the exhaustion. But maybe it's exhaustion over weeks and months and years. You can't function, you can't do your job right, you, you're, you're irritable, um, you're not able to concentrate, and chronic exhaustion over a period of time is going to lead to anxiety and prolonged anxiety can lead to depression. So we have to ask, what's the chicken and the egg here? We can't look at one function of the human being and say that this function is totally isolated to other functions. We can't look at breathing in isolation. We can't look at the emotions in isolation. We can't look at sleep in isolation. Because if your breathing is off, and if you're breathing harder, you're more likely to snore. There's a greater resistance to your breathing. There's greater turbulence in the upper airways and when you have turbulence in the upper airways you have constant sleep fragmentation in other words you're not staying down in a deep deep sleep but you're constantly being aroused now you you may not be conscious of it but you will wake up tired and if you're waking up tired your mind is affected you're more likely to be anxious you're more likely to be stressed you can't concentrate and if your mind is agitated you can't sleep that night so we we have to bear in mind the connection you know, the bi-directional relationship between breathing, between sleep and the emotions. And we're all stuck in our own silos. I was stuck in my own silo with breathing, looking at biochemistry and breathing. How do you change the biochemistry of breathing to improve blood circulation and oxygen delivery? And I wasn't considering the biomechanics of breathing, and nor was I considering the cadence of the breath. You know, and sometimes, you know, you, you say, okay, well, I better start exploring we have to be open-minded here. And as human beings, we are very rigid and we are very stuck in our own ways. And that's why there's great podcasts like this, because it can generate a bit of discussion and it can generate and, you know, encourage people to look um, in fields that are outside of their own domains. Absolutely.
1: Think laterally, sometimes think outside the box, right? Yeah, totally. Patrick, that was that was really good. I suppose I'm curious, say if I wanted to go home this afternoon and chat to my wife who snores a little bit <laughs> um, <laughs> as do I, I'm sure. Um, say we wanted to just get a benchmark as to how well we breathe. Um I I once did something called called a bolt score. Is that yeah. a tool you would use? Is that something to recommend to Kion and myself, just to understand how we breathe, or how or what's the starting process if we want to know how we should where where we're at I suppose in terms of our current breathing levels.
3: Yeah, BOLD score is a pretty good indicator. It measures the chemosensitivity of the body to carbon dioxide, but in simple terms it measures how hard do you breathe. It gives you some feedback. It's a very simple measurement. Um it's not it's not really suitable for kids, but for adults it's it's more reliable. You take a normal breath in and out through your nose, you hold your nose and you time it in seconds. Until you feel the first definite desire to breathe or the first involuntary movement of your breathing muscles. So it's the length of time of a comfortable breath toll time. Now, in sleep medicine, breath toll time has been introduced in obstructive sleep apnea, which is great news, since 2018 with a paper by Harvard doctor Luciano Messino. And uh, he, it's in relation to a phenotype called loop gain. And I won't go into it in detail, it's just a little bit complicated. But in essence, if you have a low bolt score, your breathing is faster and harder. So what I would like you to do is I'd like you to, to make the sound of a snore, David. Okay. Okay. So with that one there, you do did a couple of things. You opened your mouth and you breathed harder and you constricted your throat. So when we think of the upper airways, we have to think of the airways from the perspective of an engineer. The airway is a pipe. And no engineer is going to look at a pipe without considering flow. Now, if you breathe fast and hard, there's a greater turbulence in the airways. But if you have your mouth closed now, and what I would like you to do is to really slow down your breathing. So I would like you to breathe in two, three, four, very light, and breathe out two, three, four, five. So if you breathe really, really light, Almost that you're breathing hardly any air in and out of your nose, that you're breathing in lightly for four seconds and you're breathing out lightly for six seconds. Now, when you breathe light, with your mouth closed, try and snore. Difficult. (laughs) You can do it. it, but it's more difficult because we have to consider it's not just about the airway. And here's a mistake that has been overlooked. And it's because anatomically doctors have been looking primarily at airway and they've been looking at the size of the airway and they haven't been looking at flow, like no plumber will look at the, the diameter of a pipe without considering what's the volume to go through this. Sure, and yeah. we're breathing, you know, how we breathe during the day is determining how we breathe during our sleep and also how we breathe during physical exercise. So, you know, number one is I will always say to people, get your mouth closed um, and children as well. We we get them mouth closed and we use a tape to be honest with you. Um, We have a tape, well, we have our own tape as well, which is myotape, but there are tapes. You could just go to a chemist, get 3M one-inch micropore tape for adults. I wouldn't put it on kids, absolutely not. Um, But if the adult has a stuffy nose, start breathing through it during the day. There are exercises to decongest your nose. It's been known since 1923 that if you hold your breath, you will open up your nose. And all you have to do to open up your noses. Take a normal breath in and out through your nose, hold your nose, walk around, holding your breath, and keep walking and holding your breath until you feel you know a medium to strong air hunger and then let go and breathe in through your nose. Wait thirty seconds to a minute and do it again, and repeat it five times and your nose, if it's obstructed by inflammation or hay fever, it'll start opening up for you. so don't do that last exercise by the way if you're pregnant or if you have any cardiovascular issues or serious medical conditions. But, you know, for somebody who's young and relatively fit, um, and it's the kids' exercises as well, we, we teach the kids. So, you know, a stuffy nose, if your nose is stuffy, you're not going to breathe through it. So get your nose open. And you can do that by simply holding your breath on the exhale. So again, you take an arm breath in through your nose and an arm breath out through your nose. You hold your nose and simply walk around holding the breath and keep holding and keep walking and keep walking until you feel a fairly, you know, medium to strong air hunger. Then let go, but breathe in through your nose. You know, do it a few times. Your nose will open. The more, the more you use your nose, the better it works. And when your bolt score is above 25 seconds, your nose will function much better. So that will temporarily decongest your nose. But if you really practice slowing down your breathing, breathing with your nose, then your breathing patterns will start to change. And as your breathing starts to change, your bolt score increases. And as your bolt score increases, your airways will function better, both the upper and the lower.
1: That's excellent. And just um, what's what's your what's your expert advice on on breath holding? I have a couple of friends actually based in, in California. You were saying they're open minded over there, but they're actually having breath holding competitions. A couple of them are kind of deep sea. Deep diver kind of guys, so they'd be used to it. But they're, you know, putting up scores on on Instagram of holding their breath for three and a half minutes and four minutes, and that they feel great after it. What's your insight
3: into that? In terms of breath holding, there was a new paper. Not, a, I don't know if it was a paper, but certainly a report just came out in terms of divers with COVID. um That I know we weren't going to necessarily talk about COVID, but just as you're talking about breath holding, I'm talking about divers. And that they were more prone to irreparable damage of the lung after having COVID, even though they weren't having many symptoms at the time. And kind of this has thrown doctors a little bit. But in terms of breath holding, from my own perspective, I have athletes do breath holding, and we have athletes do breath holding to create a severe hypoxic response. In other words, I do it to, I have the athletes say, to give you an example, take an take a normal breath in and out through your nose, hold your nose and walk. And then they jog, then they run, then they sprint holding the breath and then they let go. We do minimal breathing and we use pulse oximetry. Yeah, so our whole purpose is they wear pulse oximetry, which is a little device that they have in their fingertips. And the purpose of that is that we want to to lower the blood oxygen saturation to below 91% and typically to around 85% SpO2, which is severe hypoxia. Now at the same time during a breath hold carbon dioxide is increasing. So you've got a hypoxic hypercapnic response as a result of the breath hold and this disturbs the blood acid base balance to force the body to make adaptations and it's improving the buffering capacity probably inside in the muscle compartment. Now I actually like breath holding. I think it's really really important. I think it's innate to the human being that throughout our evolution we would have been collecting some of our food at this undersea floor. So we would have naturally been holding our breath, going down to collect food. So it was something that human beings were doing. If you go to any swimming pool, you'll see kids throw in diving sticks and they'll they'll stay underwater and they'll come back up. Okay, so what does it do when you hold your breath? It's a, It's a stress to the body. And it's a stress to the body to force the body to make adaptations. And it also will increase blood flow to the brain. So you'll feel more alert as a result of it. It helps open up your nose, it helps open up your lungs, and it's disturbing the blood acid-base balance in terms of stimulating anaerobic glycolysis but without, without trauma. So if you think of athletes, they can train very, very hard. You say MMA fighters, and they really train and push themselves during the training to stimulate anaerobic glycolysis, but in the process they get injured. If you do high intensity interval training, your blood oxygen saturation will drop down to maybe about 93%. It's hardly hypoxic. But if you do breath holding, even during jogging, you will drop your blood oxygen saturation down to 85%. So you're having a much stronger effect, but with less trauma. Now, what I will say is, we don't do hyperventilation prior to breath holding. And the reason being is because I suppose, I spent 20 years trying to address chronic hyperventilation. So I'm probably a little bit, you know, um, fear, fearful of having individuals hyperventilate and then breath hold. And most certainly it would be dangerous anyway to do in terms of if somebody was doing it prior to getting into water. So the the breath holding, I think is very, very good. Um, it has to be exercised with caution. People with panic disorder, Absolutely, I would say be very, very careful. If I'm working with any people with anxiety or panic disorder, I have to really change the exercise to suit them. And the reason being is because I've made mistakes. You know, I've had people with panic disorder, I've had them do breath holes, and I've put them into such a fight or flight response. And it was the wrong thing to do. So, you know, I've made mistakes over the years and this is stuff that you learn as well as you would experience. So breath-holding is suitable for some people. It's not suitable for everybody. It's very beneficial for healthy fit athletes. Um, we have a score which is called the maximum breathlessness test, which is measuring the upper limit of tolerance of breathlessness. And uh, we, want, we would want sprinters, MMA fighters, um some some individuals we have personnel working as SWAT special weapons and tactics in the United States and their goal is to get their bolt score up to 40 seconds and their maximum breathless test score the MBT score to get it up to 80 paces so it's it's a marker of you know I suppose when you're pushing the body into a stressor you're increasing a state of breathlessness beyond what they would experience during physical exercise and if you were to look at the central governor theory that you're training the brain that the body can go harder and faster without causing damage. And with anything in human life, you know, we want to stress the body, but we want to keep it within the limits. We don't want to, I don't want to put people, I don't want to put people into states of extreme hypoxia, that their blood oxygen saturation drops down to 60% that they pass out in front of me. Touch wood, it hasn't happened. Um, And that's after 18 years. But at the same time, you know, there's. There's all we have to be, I suppose, with breathing, breathing can be very, very powerful. Um, so, you know, if you were in doubt, and I would say if you're doing breath holding, I would say definitely get advice and get some instruction. But how about just running with your mouth closed? Why does nobody talk about that? Because that's an interesting one.
1: Absolutely. Well, I just took a breath. I was holding my breath there for four and a half minutes there, actually, <laughs> I did okay, you know. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> i'm just conscious of your time patrick i think it's something that we'd love to get into a bit more the sports performance and um, so we might get you back on some stage and go into that yeah um, of course well you've definitely spoken about a lot of you've piqued the interest of the listener not only me and david but i'm sure everybody that's listening and um, where would people find out more about this stuff and what's the next action plans for them
3: Yeah, uh, so we have i have a book that's out there called the oxygen advantage and um you'll certainly buy it on amazon and online dot um, ox- oxygenadvantage.com we have links there containing a lot of the science in terms of the, the application of breathing exercises one to improve functional breathing and everyday breathing patterns and number two is breathing exercises as a stressor to cause the body to make adaptations and uh, yeah there's videos and you'll see like we have instructors now in about 40 countries throughout the world um so the book is in 14 languages so it's starting to get out there and um, yeah, it's, look at our Instagram. We have Oxygen Advantage or YouTube, and we also have Buteco. Buteco is more about sleep, more about anxiety and asthma. Whereas Oxygen Advantage is more about sports performance. So there are two different fields, um, and the reason being was because I suppose people were coming to me as a looking for Buteco breathing, but they weren't people who were healthy weren't coming to me. And uh, I often thought, like in terms of I was teaching mindfulness ten years ago in Ireland. Bring together functional breathing and mindfulness. And I often wondered, why Why is the people in front of me, 95% of them are female. None of, no males, hardly any males were turning up. So that's why part of the reason why I developed the Oxygen Advantage, because we can bring in improved focus and concentration and getting people to help quieten their mind. Because ultimately, if your mind is all over the place, you can't concentrate, you can't focus, and your sleep is impacted. So I think it's very important for the male and men typically don't want to be doing mindfulness, you know. That's something for a bunch of weirdos that are and that's not my opinion, by the way, but that's often <laughs> the perception. Um the, the open sandal brigade, you know, tree huggers. That's what mm-hmm. some men will be coming and saying to me about mindfulness. So it's not about mindfulness, it's about focusing on your breath to bring a calmness and a quality of stillness to your mind, to be able to hold your attention on what you want to hold it upon. It's very important to train the brain. And it's very important to train the brain to be concentrated. And you can do that through the breath. So we bring in different breathing exercises, even from a mental health point of view, but breathing exercises, which are more akin to men putting them into practice. And it's kind of weird because oxygen advantage, um, about 80% of our clientele are men between 20 and 45 years of age.
2: And any social media feeds?
3: Uh, there's YouTube, um, there is Facebook and things like that, and yeah, I don't. Sometimes I put comments there, but we're fairly active on it. We have a girl, we we have you know a few different people now working for us, and um, they they kind of actively look after social media. And I have to say, I have a love hate relationship with social media. I think it's the greatest waste of people's time that's been asked about it, um, and it's a total distraction, and it's increasing a lot of anxiety. And um, but at the same time, we feel it's a message that we need to get out there. So we use social media. So what I'd say to you is, yeah, visit our social media channels, but don't spend your day looking into your phone.
1: That's a good message. Yeah, it is a great message. And just the only the only way we got you onto this today was through social media. So it has <laughs> some
3: advantage <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. We have to take we have to take the good with the bad. Huh? Strolling
1: through for hours. And I like,
3: got Patrick,
1: very thankful and grateful for your time there. Anyone who comes onto this podcast, it, it always starts um, I suppose sleep eat, perform, repeat. And really we should have had breathing put in there, right? Because yeah. it is paramount to importance for for sleep, you know, and we we both um I suppose realize the importance of that. So it's only fitting that when we close every session, we always ask, what does high performance mean? So what does high performance mean to you, Patrick McKeown?
3: I think high performance means that you're you're tapping into your own innate capabilities, and we as humans we all have different capabilities, and more often than not, they're overlooked. you know education fails fails us in that regard. Um, we're, we're taught how to think, we're not trained how to stop thinking, and we're not trained how to find um you know the values, not just the values but but our abilities that we that we can work on effortlessly. You know, like I'd love to see people getting, finding an occupation that really suits them. That's about performance because, you know, and it's, it's, maybe that's very limited in terms of occupation, but is it because you spend 40 hours a week doing a job and most people don't like their jobs? Why? You know, Um, because maybe they're doing the wrong job and uh, maybe they're doing the wrong occupation. So I think in terms of performance, we have to look at it, not, we have to look at it multifaceted um breathing bring in breathing bring in sleep listen to your intuition but uh if your mind is crowded with thoughts there's not much room for fresh and original thinking to to emerge That was excellent
1: patrick thank you very much for your time today the two of us are wishing you all the best stay fit stay healthy we're both gonna go on a run later today i'm gonna i'm gonna try to work on that advice i've gotten from you i really i really think it is invaluable and and so undervalued um, so, thank you very much for your time today.
3: Great stuff, lads. Yeah, and uh, don't go blue during your run when you first switch to uh, nose running. It'll be a bit tougher. Keep I doing it though.
1: In the Phoenix Park. What oh, lovely! You? You hold his breath for too long. <laughs> Great
3: stuff. All the best. All right. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat: A Story of High Performance. This was brought to you by Howora, a whole person well-being company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at HoworaLife.com, spelled H-A-U-O-R-A-Life.com. Please rate, review and share the podcast. Some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan.